And uh, welcome back to this uh, podcast slash radio show. Uh, the show is called Swing Thoughts. Great to be with you on TSN 1150 Hamilton. Sadly, our season finale, uh, the podcast continues. Just look up Swing Thoughts on uh, any uh, podcast platform that you use, and you can hear us uh, through the uh, off-season. Although there really isn't much of an off-season in golf, but... In the summertime, we, we broadcast every week on this channel, and we certainly appreciate the people at Bell uh, allowing us to do so. Uh, my name is Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, Golf Spiritual Leader, along with my very good friend, colleague, and mentor, Timothy O'Connor of O'ConnorGolf.ca. Uh, mental perform. Pardon me, sir? Good morning, sir. I didn't know I'd been elevated to mentor. Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know. I just throw this nonsense out. Tim O'Connor, oh, of course, mean, the didn't really mean it. mental performance coach at the uh, well at the O'Connor Golf Academy. Let me get this intro done, and then you can. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, daily updates on his blog, and uh, a fine uh, webinar host and life coach, and uh, all of it. And great to uh, be with you on our last TSN show of the summer. But, of course, we'll continue to do this and talk about golf as the next few months unfold. Usually every couple of weeks we'll put out a podcast. And, uh, and uh, yeah, man, brought to you by TaylorMade. TaylorMade. Awesome TaylorMade mm. stuff. Yeah, man. Sim driver. Get big. <laughs> even, uh, even, even off club face. Center. Is good. Are you going to use any um, linking words or just going to kind of throw out nouns? I'm going to be participle free today. <laughs> um, TaylorMade Performance Labs in Woodbridge and Oakville. Visit TaylorMadeFitting.ca to book the ultimate fitting experience and all kinds of new uh, technology being uh, brought to you daily at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. And we thank TaylorMade for supporting the, the, uh, the broadcast uh, through this summer. You know, we started, I guess, the weekend of the Masters, or when that was supposed to be, and we end uh, the weekend of Labor Day, and uh, it's been great. Uh, lots of great guests. In the uh, next, in the second half hour of the show, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, our regular uh, stuff, and I have a um, a couple of things, I, as I said to you before we started taping, I, I'll think of some things around golf, and I go, I wonder what, I wonder what Tim has to say about that. You know, and I'm always eager to get a, a chance to speak to you because you're a, you're a guy I look up to, and and I I always say this sincerely. One of the one of my fr- favorite people to golf geek out with, you know, with you know we we can have all these conversations, and it's it's a, it's nice to have somebody to share it with. I know. I think we connected on the phone. What we thought would be a two minute conversation this week. <laughs> How long did that go on for? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um. Well, without further uh, delay, then let's get to our first guest. He's coming back. Uh, he reached out to me, and, and and when we first had Paul on the show, he had started an Instagram sort of project called Synergy Golf Coaching Three Sixty Five, and and what he endeavored to do for this entire year. Yesterday was uh, day two thirty seven. Today's two thirty eight was to put out a bit of golf. Wisdom or, you know, a discussion point, something to think about, because Paul, like us, thinks very deeply about the game of golf, uh, not only as an instructor and a fine technical teacher, but also the mental side is of uh, interest to Paul. Welcome back, Paul Cummings 
Uh, hey, Paul, how are you, sir? Good morning, guys. How are you? Fantastic. You know, just remind the listeners, remind us why you started this project and what it's come to and what the response has been and what you've learned. Um, well, I'm going to start with the learning piece. It's lo- a longer project than I thought it was going to be. Um, 365 days. It's actually, my buddy told me it's now 366 because it's a leap year. So I've got to come up with an extra one, which is always a good start. Um, so, no, it's been great. Actually, I think my writing's actually come on quite a bit. Um, I've noticed my pieces are getting longer and longer. I think I have to curtail that a little bit. But it's been a journey, and, and um, I, I think I've got a lot from my clients. I've got a lot from the people that I've been working with this year. And I'm, it's, actually, it's actually made me really curious in the lessons to be aware of, you know, when a, when a talking point comes up. Because... Clearly, I was never going to have enough information myself to complete 365 pieces of completely non-technical coaching. Mm-hmm. But um, through through my lessons, and I've done an awful lot of lessons this year, um, I've been very aware of, of people's states and how they conduct themselves on the driving range um, and how it's so different to how they conduct themselves on the golf course. So there's been a lot of great stuff that's come out of conversations. But it's been, it's been a challenge, but it's... Uh, I'm kind of enjoying myself now because I'm kind of forcing myself to have to do this every day, you know? Well, that's a key thing for any any writer, whether you're writing a, a novel, uh, articles, or something that is getting your uh, your butt in the writing seat every day. That's, that's such a key thing. And you can extrapolate that to, to golf as well. You know, when you want to really make change, you got to it, it, it can be work for sure. But I wanted to ask you, what in terms of some of the maybe the more recent messages that you've put out there what has seemed to really been resonating for you and for your clients um i think it's been the, the some of the ones more recently of course the golf's back on the television which has been a, a joy for us all i think um some of the pieces that are written about dj and the and morikawa and the various you know some of the winners recently um, they really resonated it seems to me that we're, we're all trying to 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 become like the best in the world but they have no concept of how people have no concept of how long that's taken them to get to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the ten thousand hours Malcolm Gladwell stuff. It's, but it's so much more than that. And you know, when you see DJ completely out of the game at shooting eighty and seventy eight, I'd be delighted to shoot seventy eight and eighty around those courses. But you know, he's finished apparently at that point. But then he goes and right. shoots thirty under over four days so it's those pieces have been interesting because it, it touches a nerve with people I think and, mm-hmm. and so of I want to ask they, Paul I'm just going to jump in what is it that DJ exemplifies in that ability to having appeared to have lost it and then to in an almost otherworldly way to find it at 30 under what's going on for him well such an interesting question I think he's um I mean, he looks like he's asleep half the time on the golf course. He's so nonchalant. So day, I'm just going back to one of the posts, day 228, um, I, the, the post was nonchalance doesn't even come close to describing it. <laughs> That's like right. That. Um, and again, I think Kepka was calling him out and some other guys had, had voiced some stuff about him. I don't think he believes the hype at all. He's very, very... Clearly, willpower is huge, but he's just he's just drifting along doing his own thing. He doesn't care what anybody's saying. He's completely unself conscious. I think. 
So what does the average golfer take from that and apply to their own game? Uh, well, I mean, you've got to trust yourself. You've got to do your own thing. You've got to find your own way of doing it. Um, I think it was interesting when DeChambeau was um, piling on all kinds of weight and, and muscle and all the rest of it. Um, the same week that he came out big, you know, Patrick Reed came out smaller. Hmm. And um, and some of the other guys, um, Gary Woodlands yeah. slimmed down a lot. So it's it's just doing it your own way. It doesn't matter how how that is, but you've got to discover what that way is. I think. Hey Paul, let me just give yeah. you a little uh, coach's tip here. Can you just take your hands away from uh, blocking out your voice going into this uh, microphone on your phone? That'd be great. Absolutely. Can. Okay. I talk with I talk with my hands. Uh, no, it's fine. You know, one of the things I. I I think people can take away from what you said in terms of Dustin Johnson and, you know, the the self-belief that come from all the reps, as Coach Tim would say. You know, I played golf last night in our men's night with somebody that had a lesson the day before. And he was telling me, you know, that he was going to be working on this thing he learned yesterday. And... He was getting a little frustrated that it wasn't appearing in his golf game the next day. And I said, you know, <laughs> I just said, first of all, it's a journey. There's a lot, you know, it takes a long time to make small changes. And I said, just give yourself a bit of a break because, you know, like Tiger Woods didn't win for 18 months when he tried to change his golf swing and he did it every day. And I think you guys both will see this in your practices, that people have unrealistic expectations about themselves and their abilities. And I think, and I've said this on many occasions, frustration comes in golf from partly because you think, well, why can't I do what my teacher said yesterday? Um, a couple of times, it's actually more than a couple of times this year, we've had we've had calls to the driving range for a, a very urgent golf lesson. I need a golf lesson today <laughs> because I'm playing on Saturday and I don't want to embarrass myself. That's you're right. Like, okay, sit down. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> you know, and, you know, Rome was not built in a day. You know, um, and neither was your golf swing. And it's it's so it's it's fascinating. I think people because they watch the TV and. Because you never see amateur golf on the TV, yeah. and I mean real amateur golf. I think there's a show there, guys. I yeah, think we could bring I agree. Twenty five handicappers and show people what golf is really like. Um, you know, Paul, if I may interject, I, I've said that before. I think what they should do as a bonus coverage on one of those golf pass or a second network is show the guys playing for real and then show a couple of 18 handicappers somewhere on the back nine playing what they would. How would they shoot? Because right. even good players on those courses, like a good player like you, you'd be happy to shoot 80 on a tour course. Absolutely. Be delighted. So but, um, it's about yeah, unrealistic think, expectations. I think there's a huge disconnect between between you know, what actually goes on on a golf course for many and, and what happens on the TV. It's a completely different game. Um, the other thing I noticed from the driving range, I, I had the pleasure of going out and playing with some of my clients this year. And it's it's it was fascinating to me to watch them go back into their default mode. They just go straight back to doing what they've always done on the golf course, whether we've done 10 lessons or 20 or, or three. Mm-hmm. It's just, it seems like as soon as they step on the course, they go back to the previous moves and the previous, you know, the swing thoughts that they had and everything else. And it doesn't seem to change. Like you said, it takes time. 
and it takes time to practice all of those things to get them good on the golf course. Well, Paul, on that note, something that I've talked to a couple of clients about recently is their frustration that they could spend two hours, let's say, around the chipping green, hitting it great, just Mm -hmm. rolling up there really nicely, get on the golf course, very first chip they have, uh, (laughs) skull, blade, (laughs) chunk, whatever. (laughs) What is going on? I I have a sense of what's going on, but what do you think is going on? It's it's so it's so difficult. You'd love to have you know electrodes on their heads to work out what was what thought processes are going on because I think you know I I try to delve very deeply into people's heads and 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 some people have been very reticent to do that with me. You know, and I'm very interested in what's what they're actually saying to themselves, what they're actually thinking. And um, and sometimes you don't you can sense it in them. You know, you can sense it as a, a discomfort. Um, and one of my pieces recently was, and, and it's become a bigger piece, and it's not just one post, it's going to be something larger, I think, is the question, just a simple question, are you ready? So, you know, are you ready to hit the shot? Because I think the vast majority of people are not ready um, in terms of they haven't made all the right decisions, they haven't made all the right processes, they haven't put everything in place. Because I think worries and doubts are real, and there's something to worry and doubt. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not that you can't override them. You should absolutely absolutely listen to that and say, "What am I thinking? What's worrying me about this shot?" And then it's maybe a, a reset and a little couple of practice things. People tend to rush because they don't want to to hold people up. So then they rush it and make a mess of it, and then hold people up. Well, so one of the things I think, if I may interject, that happens to people is that they're nervous or they have a sense of uncomfortableness around a particular execution of a shot. And so one of the reasons they rush is to get it out of the way. Like, I'm uncomfortable, so if I do it quickly, maybe it'll be over. Um, back to yesterday, I played with a couple of guys that I don't play very often with. And, I, and it was a, we had a wonderful day, and they're very nice players, and... Even the guy that took the lesson, you know, he was able to hit the ball pretty nicely. And we're sitting around after, and one one of the things this guy said to me, he said, I really like your game. And I said, thank you. And he said, you're very deliberate around the ball. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, because a couple of times yesterday, it was gusting. A couple of times I got over the ball, and I got a big gust, and I stopped. And I went, okay, I can't hit this now. It, it's not, I'm not ready to hit it because the conditions around the shot I was going to hit have changed. Now, I might have done that, I don't know, guys, maybe three or four times because it was a challenging day. But to them, that seemed mind-blowing. But as we found out you know, many years ago talking to a guy named Joe Parent, a lot of amateurs, we, we waste shots by being in that situation, acknowledging, oh, there's some weirdness going on in my head, but hitting it anyway, and that's four or five shots around for most amateur golfers. Yeah, and that's easy mistakes to make if you're not aware of what's really going on. And I think that's right. where the awareness piece goes. We go back to that all the time. Um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing, and I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I, I love what Carl Morris was talking about, about consistency and saying maybe it's not a thing that we can ever attain. Mm-hmm. But we're kind of, I like the idea that we're moving towards something. But you've got to realize that it's a longer journey than just suddenly being able to, you know, those guys that you played with may not ever be able to adopt your pre-shot routine, you know, because, and it has to be yours as well. It can't be, you can't just give somebody a pre-shot routine. 
Um, now, I've been looking at a lot of golfers. I mean, there's so many new golfers on the range this year, too, because of the COVID thing. I don't know if you're aware of that. But, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, our driving range at Vic Hadfield has been so busy with, with very non-golfers. <laughs> um, and there's been some balls flying sideways across the driving range. And if you know that place, it's quite dangerous because it's, cur- <laughs> That's it's, right, got I cur- do. it's got a curve on it. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Whoa. So those fences have come in handy at times, you know. <laughs> but uh, one, one interesting thing, I was talking to a guy about uh, alignment sticks and about pre-shot routine and why you should do that on the driving range because I think it makes sense to, to do a full routine rather than just machine gun balls. Mm-hmm. And you know what he said to me, which I thought it was actually, it was great. But he said, oh, yeah, I don't want to use sticks and I don't want to do a pre-shot routine because I don't want to look as if I know what I'm doing and then make a mess of it. Wow. And I thought, that not that interesting? I mean, people are so self-conscious. People are self-conscious on the driving range. Nobody's looking at you on the driving range. Yeah. <clears throat> they're more worried about whether they're, they're hitting the ball properly and, and impressing everybody else around them. So I, I just thought that was yeah, really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I think I'm going to get a golf shirt, a line of golf shirts made up that basically say cross up. No one cares. Yeah. No yeah. one cares. No one cares what you shoot. No. no one cares why you flub the shot. No one cares that you look or don't look like what you're doing. No one. Yeah, the problem is nobody will be cares. watching. Nobody will be reading. <laughs> no one will read it. Because they're <laughs> right. But getting back to what. Um, you but hang on a second, saying. Timmy. I think the line of t-shirt, no one cares. I'm thinking about myself. I'm not watching you. I'm more <laughs> worried about me. That's right. I think that'd be a, I think you need a billboard. Exactly. Um, so what Howard was saying about him stepping away three, four times, um, what that takes is someone who's not identified with their golf or someone who's not concerned essentially what people would think again no one cares but that's very interesting point paul is that a a lot of people won't tell you what they're thinking mm-hmm. because they don't want to be weak and it's the same with you know whether they're going to they've got a tough shot you know on a downhill lie beside a green they're you know close pin and they rush through it because they're worried what people are going to think mm-hmm. and boy you know, if there's anything that we could take from this, it's, it's that, hey, folks, uh, you're out there to have fun. Do what you need to have fun and get ready and hit a golf shot. And, and But this whole – this is a very interesting topic on its own – in its own about the way our egos identify with, with ourselves, our own sense of identity, how that connects to our golf and how we look. Well, and I think that's also why most people, you know – don't want to step away because they're worried that their friends will give them, you know, whatever, but grief, grief, or will say something. And, and in actual fact, like, you know, listen, if you're listening and you think we're overanalyzing this, that's fine. But I think if you dig deep, just shouldn't, I shouldn't say deep, scratch below the surface of almost any golfer. And one of the things they want is to lower their score. So if you want to lower your score, if you're over a shot and it's a seven iron in your hand and then you get to the ball and it's a little bit above your feet and it doesn't feel like a seven iron anymore and you hit that seven iron, that's on you. That's your you've you've accepted that that's not the optimum shot, but you're going to hit it anyway. And if it leads to a higher score again, you could have avoided that or at least given your chance to have a lower outcome. So I think golfers, Paul and Tim 
are are schizophrenic in that they say i'm just here to have fun but you also want to have a lower score so what is it because if good while doing it, it. <laughs> if what's that and look good while doing it if you want a lower score you're you're going to have to sometimes take a few extra practice swings and maybe go up to the spot on the green where you want to land your chip and maybe have a look around because you know the guy that I work with the most Paul Henrik one of his best uh, phrases is when it's your turn take your turn no one's going to fault you for going and having another look at the putt i'm not saying you need to do a a Bryson DeChambeau 3 minute expose on it but if you're unsure you have 15 more seconds go ahead and have another look at it what do you think paul i think that's huge i think that self-consciousness piece is is oh it's my turn i better not hold anybody anybody up or or make a mess of it or so i'll just get mine over with so we can go back to the, the golfers it's a trust piece they don't trust themselves enough to then command that that section of the day that that moment in time and I, I love that. I love the silence over the shot. When it's my shot, I actually, you know, secretly, I love it. It's my turn. That's right. And no, it's nobody else's turn. It's my turn. And I'm going to take as long as I need. Um, I thought it was interesting when the, the golfers went back to the, the, the tournament without fans. And they were saying it was a much different experience for them because it was so quiet. Now, I think amateur golfers have got used to it being quiet. Because there's nobody out there looking at us play it. That's right. So it, it, it was, I think it was interesting that they found it actually quite intimidating to be that quiet. Mm-hmm. But, and some of them have thrived, and I think some of them have struggled because they need the energy of the crowd to, to get them going. Because even when it is quiet, there's still a murmur. Right. I think Rory, Rory mentioned in a piece uh, the other day that he was having not having the fans there, was, that was hard for him. But, Paul, don't you think, when you talk about trust... I, uh, with a lot of my clients, I find that they're working so hard. Oh, my God. They have this three-point plan before they go into a game, and they're trying to execute the plan and all of that. What do you offer to people, whether they took a lesson the day before or when they actually get on the golf course? How do they just trust and, and, and let it go? Oh, if I knew that. If I knew that. Yeah. Um, I think we'd all be better golfers if we knew that one. And, but, you, you know, you've got to personalize it. It has to be personal to them. They have to go in and, and you know, I throw a million things at people to see what sticks. You know, and I, I don't do that just by, you know, just attacking them from all angles. But I give them the opportunity to pick through the, the options on the pre-shot and options on the thought process. And and they start to piece together. This is why I've done all these pieces of, 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 of feedback on the on the 365 thing. Because I think people all choose. Now, I think my bonus, I'm giving away the secret of my last post almost, but I haven't written it, I can assure you. But um, not yet. But I think it's going to be, you know, you choose what you like from all of these pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot adopt them all. There's no way. But you can choose the ones that resonated with you. Because there'll be some deeper truth to those for you. And there'll be ones that just fly off people's backs and they're not interested in them. That's fine too. You know, I think that goes back to Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins, you know, the motivational guy. He's always said, "Look, if you take one thing from this four-day seminar, then that's great." You know, so you just have to personalize it. They they have to take responsibility for that piece of it as well. And remember, guys, you know, when you're talking about them getting better at golf, I think people only think that 
the technical aspect is the only thing they have to improve. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about it last time, but it's everything they have to improve. It's an it's a it's a holistic approach. It's it's little pieces of the puzzle along the way will add up to you being a better golfer. Well, Paul Cummings, always a pleasure having you on the program. And uh, if you want to follow Paul, as I do, uh, Paul at SynergyGolf.ca, the lead instructor, Golf Academy at Vic Hatfields, and on Instagram, SynergyGolfPaul. And the project continues for at least another hundred and some odd days. Um, and, uh, hey, man, always a pleasure ch- uh, catching up with you. Thanks for uh, doing this with us today, okay, my friend? Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. This is uh, Swing Thoughts on TSN 1150. When we come back, we're going to talk about Rory McIlroy and the changes he's made to become a better golfer, a more enlightened person. And a lot of that stuff that has nothing to do with golf swings, how an improvement in attitude informed an improvement in his general uh, game as well. And we'll... uh, We'll talk about a couple other things with uh, golf spiritual leader and coach Tim. This is Swing Thoughts on TSN. And uh, welcome again to uh, Swing Thoughts, our uh, second uh, segment here and uh, the last TSN 1150 show of the 2020 golf season. Uh, Tim and I go back to uh, doing the show every couple of weeks. Uh, U.S. Open's coming up. The Masters are coming up. Uh, this weekend uh, is the official end of the PGA Tour season, the FedEx Cup playoffs. And uh, we go into kind of podcast-only mode. My name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. And Tim O'Connor, a buddy of mine and a very fine uh, mental performance coach. Great golf swing. I always say, Timmy's got a great motion. Your motion pleases me. <laughs> you the locomotion. Yeah. You're, uh, you know what's funny? I was thinking about um, the Masters being in November. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering if it's going to be like, uh, you know, certain things in nature that, you know, wake up the little critters like the squirrels and things. I'm wondering if the Masters being in November is going to confuse people. <laughs> usually it means spring is coming. Yeah. But it's going to, you know, in the northern parts of uh, – this great continent. Um, <laughs> so winter is going to be coming. Well, it's funny. You, it's Just interesting thinking. you brought that up because we uh, on the Humble and Fred show on the day we recorded this uh, swing thoughts. We had a uh, very fine broadcaster Bob McCowan on, oh, who's uh, who's a friend of ours and comes on the show from time to time. And he and I were talking a little golf, and he actually made an interesting point. I thought, which was, oh, by the way, our program is always brought to you by TaylorMade Golf, TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Anyway, Bob was saying that the Masters in November goes against the laws of nature. Because as a a traditionalist, you know, the Masters means spring. It's the sort of order of things. And all of a sudden in November, you're going to have this tournament, as you say, traditionally in the spring. But for me, I think it will be interesting for the golf nerds because I've never seen the golf course in the fall. That's right. And it will play differently. It won't be as... As um, I don't know what they'll they'll make it as fast. I'm sure, but it's just going to look different. Are they going to make the azaleas bloom? <laughs> Probably they can. <laughs> they can do whatever they want. They can Unlimited do they want. budget there. You know, those guys are all part of the Illuminati anyway. So, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, am I? What you worried that the people from the Masters are going to come and get us? <laughs> 
No, there's enough conspiracy theories for other no. people to worry about. The Trust me. The, the guys that run the Masters are part of the Dark Shadows. Just know it, Tim. Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. The Deep State. The Deep State. Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca is how you get a hold of Tim. Go to HumbleAndFredRadio.com and uh, find out more about our little program. You, uh, you sent me uh, a couple interesting articles. One was a an article about Rory McIlroy, who both of us have uh, been talking about because of his interest in the mental side of the game, because of Rory's uh, recommended um, reading. I've read uh, The Obstacle is the Way. And uh, why don't you take the lead here and just kind of reiterate, you know, Rory went from being sort of a regular... You know, 10,000 balls a day golfer to being a different kind of golfer. And maybe you can remind people of his transformation. Well, I think the key thing with Rory was that, you know, since being a junior golfer, he's always tasted success. You know, I think at 16, was it he shot the course record at Port Rush 61, turned professional 18. And then, you know, I think by the time he was 23, 24, he had four majors under his belt. So, you know, and, and, you know, he was like the next, he would be the next Tiger Woods. And then he wasn't being the next Tiger Woods. He's being the next schlep, you know, the next guy who's just kind of disappearing off the earth. Um, and one of the things that, that he went through was really taking a look at how did he identify himself with his golf and particularly how did this affect his relationships and what people would think about him again as paul cummings would say was talking about the key piece folks is not your golf swing it's what are the internal conversations you're having in your head and i think rory came he, and through reading uh coaching rory came to the conclusion that his golf has no bearing on his value as a person it had no value i remember him saying at the at the players last year when he won whether whether he shot 64 or 74 whether you know the people in his family or friends would love him or not mm-hmm. and this was just a um, started him on a, a real transformational process which he also did with lots of books like Ryan Halliday's The Obstacle you know is uh, well, actually <laughs> Obstacle is the Way that's right um, he also wrote that um, The Problem is the Ego or something like that so he started to, to change things up and I, I think he's I think he's still struggling with it quite frankly Howard when you see him He's not been in a good spot in in the last say five six weeks. He's been going up and down. So well, when he came see? back, when he came back from the uh, reset or the the pause as they call it, prior yeah. to that, he was the you know before we all shut oh, down yeah. for COVID, he was arguably the hottest player on the planet. Hadn't <laughs> finished out of the top five, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then since it's we've come back the last couple of three months have not been great for Rory McIlroy. I think there was a lot of expectations that he had, whatever the reason, um, it wasn't the same. Yeah. And I I think what the thing that we can take away from that, and and this is that this is golf. This is life. We learn some new things about ourselves, but we also fall back. Mm -hmm. And I have a sense, Corey, uh, Corey, that's my son, not Rory. (laughs) As he's, He's he has this tendency to fall back as we all do. Our egos are that strong. Our egos don't want to give up control mm-hmm. because our egos kept us safe for however long we are. I'm 63 years old. Well, there's a certain way that my brain 
works based on my ego trying to keep me safe. And when things don't go right, it goes, okay, we're going to do this. It may not be what I want to do, but that's what the ego does because it just, again, it's there to keep us safe. And so we go in and out of of these things. And, and when it gets tough, sometimes we'll, our performance will suffer. Well, as the example you mentioned uh, at the beginning of this show about the, the, the guy or the gal that goes out and practices their chipping and then they get on the golf course and the first time they have a chip of consequence, they stub it. Why is that? Well, there's a million reasons, but, you know, uh, a lot of it is ego attachment and falling into the sort of no matter, you know, if I give you a, a little tip about pitching or chipping, you might take that tip when I show you, but under pressure, you're going to default to how you've kind of always done it Absolutely. until, as you say, you get your reps in and then you learn to trust it. And I think egoically, people are that way, that under pressure, you'll default to how you've always been because it's what you just said so uh, nicely that it's kind of what's always served you. Exactly. So when we're under pressure, thus under stress, we're right back to it. Really, the brain, whether whether there's a saber tooth tiger running at you <laughs> yeah. or whether you've got a three foot downhill slider putt to win the Nassau, your brain interprets this as danger. Yeah. And it puts you in survival mode. And thus you start to get, you know, it's the fight, flight or freeze reaction of our bodies. And if we're not aware of that, that's when the tension comes, and that's when, you know, you shoot 82s in, you know, like your qualifier the other day. Are we still uh, talking about that, Tim? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, I know. I know. You've gone over, but, we def- but to what you just said, we default yep. to, <clears throat> to what's safe. That's most comfortable right. and safe. I'll just read you very quickly. Um, I'm paraphrasing most of this because it's a little longer, but this is Rory McIlroy saying, I figured out what works for me. It's more about working smart. For me, that's focusing less on technique, having less swing thoughts, and focusing more on the mental and course management side. That's how I've gotten to this point. Now, there's so much in there that I love. That's why I picked it out. This is from the article you sent me. From Golf Digest. Uh, Yeah. Excuse me. Hang on. Okay. So, what I love about that, and we've talked about this a lot recently because, you know, that a couple months ago, you and I went out for a little, you know, nine-hole get-together, and and I sort of explained what I, how I kind of work myself around the course, and it has nothing to do with, you know, turning your torso faster. Mm Mm-hmm. And here's the best player, one of the best players on planet Earth. And I think the amateur golfers look at these guys on TV and they must think, oh, they've learned to synthesize a thousand swing thoughts and, they, and they're just better at that. Well, the actual fact is when Rory McIlroy, who drives it better than anyone we've seen, is over the ball, he's not thinking about how to do it. He's just thinking about let it go. And you know what? It doesn't always work out, but it works out more than if you're standing over there freezing, which I've done. We've all done it where you're standing over the ball going, uh, what's my... What was that swing thought? Yeah. Yeah, what was the mantra? <laughs> what, what, is, what is my swing thought again? It's oh, like yeah, Jeff, this Jeff, thing. It's like Jeff Goldblum in Annie Hall oh, calling, yeah. his, his, calling his guru. Oh, I forgot my <laughs> mantra. <laughs> exactly. 
And so if to- and and again, you know, as Paul was saying, if you take nothing away from this show, other than it's okay to step away from a shot you're not comfortable with, and it's okay to just get up and and just wail away sometimes. You know, you you don't have to. Is it perfect? Is it is it going to be correct? I don't know. But it's better than trying to do it right, which we both have suffered from. Oh, you know? Absolutely. I think that's why we talk about it so often, because that's our continuing work. Mm-hmm. I go in and out of that all the time. And I, and I can hear... I can hear some some of our listeners their thoughts in their head is like okay it's well no wonder Rory McIlroy or Dustin Johnson could get out just and free wheel it I mean they've got millions of golf swings in they performed at a high level they know how to swing the golf club mm-hmm. but whether you're Dustin Johnson or whether you're a thirty handicapper you are always going to play better with what you said before we got on the show today is your authentic swing. Mm-hmm. When you play with what's comfortable, you're gonna just you're just gonna hit the ball better. Are you gonna hit it perfect? Absolutely not. No. But your 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 ability to connect to a target, have solid hit, all that swing and some rhythm is so much that's gonna work in your favor when you play from a place of comfort and trust. Again, it doesn't mean you're going to have an ideal swing and you're going to hit that shot perfectly. No. But it just, you perform better as an athlete. Well, I'll tell you, um, if we can do another thing, if we can dispel the mythology that you have to do it correctly, I say that in air quotes, or perfectly, or it has to be, it doesn't. I mean, you know, I'm a pretty decent swinger of the golf club. And I can tell you, I go over my rounds and I go, wow, you know, for the most part, I hit a lot of okay shots. I've made this point a few times this summer. Golf is an amalgam of a bunch of okay shots, an occasional really good one, and hopefully not too many horrible ones, which That's is right. what I've been looking forward to talking to you about today. So, I'm just changing subjects now. <clears throat> we have an official segue. We have, I know, I'm terrible at segues. Um, we golfers have this idea that every shot on a hole, because if it's a par five and we touch the ball five times, we assume that every shot has an equal weight because it added up to five or six or seven or whatever it was. But I can tell you that, and, and, I, and I, I'm going to just say this out. I don't have it fully formed. That's why I want to run it by you. And I see if this resonates with other golfers. Because every shot doesn't have the same weight as every other shot. And I'll give you an example. This this came up yesterday, but I've been thinking about this for a while. So I tee off on the last hole yesterday, and I'm in the middle of the fairway. I'm downwind on a par 5, and I have about 245-ish to the green. Comfortable for me to hit my 3-wood. Maybe not on, but somewhere around the green. If I get lucky, maybe on. It's pretty, you know, It was pretty windy yesterday. So I'll just explain this, and I want to get your thoughts. So I I hit my second shot, and I I hit a pretty severe pull left into some stuff. It's up near the green, but I'm not sure. I hit a provisional, mostly because I'm pissed off. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> exactly. you know the do over. But the do over, and I just nuke it. I hit it to the front of the green, beautiful. But I find my first ball, 
I've got a pretty crappy lie, and I just sort of chunk and run it just in front of the green. So that's shot three. Yeah. My pitch, which I just hit a nice little bump and run, but it just doesn't run far enough. It gets to about six feet short of the hole. Like serviceable, not a bad shot. And then I miss the putt, and I make a bogey. But the reason I wanted to explore this with you is, so that one shot, that second shot of mine, actually was worth more than one shot because it led to a a tough lie out of the rough, like heavy hay. That's a half shot. It led to a a pitch off a tight lie, which I, I hit a nice little, like a little spinner in there, but it just stopped spinning six feet. There's another half shot. And then I had a little curler up right to left. No big deal. Didn't hit it hard enough. There's a half shot. It all added up to a bogey. Where that second shot is really where I lost. I, I, I mean, yes, I could have gotten up and down for par, whatever. But I, I just think that sometimes we, we, we value too much individual shots and don't see that they kind of all add up. That decisions, you know, I could have... Maybe I should have laid up. I, I, any number of things I could have done, but that one shot cost me four. Because every every shot after was exponentially, it was worth a half shot more, is what I'm trying to say. Now, I, I don't know exactly if that resonates with you, but I, I think what I'm trying to say is that a lot of the decisions we make lead to other you know, parts of the of the whole where if you look back on it, you think, you know... Maybe if I hadn't tried to go for the green, or maybe that shot, if I'd blocked it right, it would have been a much... You know what I mean? Any number of things. What are your thoughts about that? Oh, you're absolutely right. One shot can make such a difference. And so, yeah, they one shot on a whole has does have a higher value than others, even though it's they just add up on the scorecard. You can go back to uh, Mark Brody... And uh, the Strokes Gained guy. What's the name of that book again? Uh, I think it's Every Shot Counts or something like That's that. That's right. Yeah. And he, through, through mathematical analysis, the guy's a genius that way, he determined that the, you know, that, that whole thing about uh, drive for show, putt for dough, that that's a fallacy. And that, that the more important thing is to get it in play off the tee. Mm-hmm. And if you do not, then you don't really ha- you don't have a chance to score. So, so that talks about the value of the drive. So, it's just, so basically, I th- I'm trying to corroborate what you're talking about. And you're, you're absolutely right. Because if you hit a shot, and then there's all kinds of things that happen as a consequence. Yes. And it's not just the math. Also think about what happens in your body and in your head. So it's like, oh, crap. I hit it into the crap. There's the shot that I hate again. Mm-hmm. So... So then basically your mind is highly likely to go there. Then you got to find a thing. I hope I find it. <laughs> I hope I know. find it. And then you're looking around and you're kind of disturbed and you're all this. And then you finally do find it. And then if it's a crappy lie, you got to deal with that. And then it's so basically you're causing yourself all this stress that you didn't need to. Well, going back to the second shot, you know, and like a lot of good players, <clears throat> like a lot of uh you know, I, when I go, when I make a mistake, it's a it's a pull hook, and and yeah. given the circumstances, I really should have been more careful about the shot I was going to hit, but because it was a far shot, I was trying to hit a draw, and I can tell you that I, I can tell you technically what I did wrong, but mentally what I did wrong is this: 
I should have aimed so far right. There you go. That if I'd made a mistake, I was going to be in the bunker. I was going to be in the... I would be somewhere but where I was. Now, I didn't get mad, although I was pissed that I finished with a bogey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it was a tough day. <clears throat> I par that hole for 74. I birdie the hole for 73. I bogey the hole for 75. I know. That's that, but, but that would be like a 71 in great ideal conditions. And I know a lot of people are going, oh, boo-hoo, I'd love to shoot 75. Yeah, but they're not scratch golfers. But I, but when I was going home, I was like, Howard, that's the same mistake. You got to be aiming in a place where that if all went to hell, you'd still be able to play your next shot. And I didn't do that. And that shot had a consequence of four or two. If you want to say, I could have made a birdie, but I made a bogey. But what I didn't do is make a par. Right. So in essence, did you default? Yes. We talk, this goes back to what we talked about earlier. Absolutely. Had, like, you know, I took a playing lesson with Coach Howard out there, and you like explained so well. You're, you know, take the the big number out of play, safe target, swing aggressively to conservative targets, and exactly what we talked about right there. It, you know, if you're gonna hit, if your plan is to hit a draw to a left pin, you hit to the right. You hit a good shot. Maybe you're on the green with 20 feet. Hit a bad shot. You might have. Ironically enough, two feet for birdie. No, exactly. And you didn't follow your own advice no, I because you're a human being, for gosh sakes. And this is what we do: we go up and down and in and out because we're uh, we're frail. Well, and 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 to to our golfers listening, you know, like what Tim talked about, you know, defaulting to a, a strategy, and that's what gets me frustrated. Not that I made a bad swing, because you know. You know, in, in, in most rounds of golf, not every swing is, is going to be great. But your strategy can... Say, and that's really what I, would, what I would say. My 2020 learning or takeaway is my strategy is always pretty sound. Mm-hmm. You know, off the tee, it was a howling right-to-left wind. And I took that bunker on nine scotch block. I took it completely out of play. I did aim so far right. And I happened to hit a nice drive. Caught it, you know, hit a nice draw, but it, it was never going to go near that huge hole in the earth. And so there I am. I got a, I got a shot that I could, you know, get it somewhere around the green quite easily and didn't because I forgot that part, <laughs> you know, like all yeah. of a sudden I'm like, I forgot all about the part where you aim way right again. Because honestly, Timmy, the wind coming from, I guess, the West was just howling. Yeah. You know, I backed off. Two or three times in the last couple of holes because the the weather was coming in and that wind really increased. And, and so I was being very careful about, was I going to hit this shot? Not until that wind lays down for a second. But on that one shot that cost me, you know, we'll say at least two shots, I didn't. And that's the takeaway is that you can be vigilant about strategy. Your golf swing will come and go. Mm-hmm. But had I been vigilant about my gameplay, you know, I would have hit it. Maybe I would have blocked it. A block would have been better. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let me ask you, just maybe you need to be brief on this one, but um, if you go back, and I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes, mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you go back to your pre-shot routine and the decision-making that you're going to hit that three-wood and set, you know, stepping into the ball and as you step over the ball, what do you think was going on in your mind and your body at that time? What were you telling yourself and what were you feeling? 
Um, I can tell you, I was telling myself that I uh, that I could easily get it. That that I, it wasn't a big reach for me. But I know one thing I didn't do is I didn't really identify a precise prime. As Paul, my teacher, would say, "What was your primary target?" I knew yeah. my secondary target was the front of the green, but my primary target wasn't as clear. It was vague over there somewhere. Whereas when I'm you know, when you generally when I'll hit a better shot, I'm very specific about where I want the ball to start, and I wasn't. Could I interject? Could Please it and thank be you. Possible too that that you made like. Did you also have a thought like put a smooth swing on this or anything like that? Um, yeah, I'm not really. Okay, all right, but but it was something. That, so when do you tend to pull hook it? Uh, when I tend to pull hook, it is just as I describe when I'm not mm. clear because all the way through the back nine, it was wind was coming up and I was, I was aiming further and further to, to work the ball with it. And I, and I was, you know, I had a lot of good, you know, good success until that last shot. Um, we're going to, uh, break up here. Not permanently. We're going to say thank you very much. We have a very short podcast extra today. If you want to uh, check it out at uh, Swing Thoughts on uh, Facebook. How about O'ConnorGolf.ca? Go there. Tim's updating his blog all the time. Some interesting reading. If you want to book Tim, you can there as well. Uh, go check it out at HumbleAndFredRadio.com. We're back uh, next week on uh, many Bell radio stations. And uh, once again, thanks to everyone at TSN 1150. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, More at Swing Thoughts on Apple, iTunes, and other places where fine podcasts are sold. We'll see you next year. All right, there you go. That's our season wrapped up. All done. Uh, I got time for uh, five minutes. Um, um, great questions, by the way. That was uh, very good. Thank you so much. I don't feel sad, even though <laughs> you do. <laughs> I don't. Don't don't okay. feel sad. Uh, no, as we we that. forgot to mention TaylorMade. Thanks to TaylorMade very much. Um, okay, so, here's the thing. Here's a quick nugget. Yeah, nugget um, away, bro. Nugget away. Nugget. So, okay. My, so some people, I, I could imagine you would, having bogeyed the last hole, mm. uh, be disappointed. Oh, yeah, I and, was. And speaking, you could feel sad. You could maybe feel a bit angry. But do you think it's quite possible that this was another great learning piece for you around a season-long theme of learning to focus more on targets? And you're having success. you're having some success with that. But because again you're a human being, you drop out sometimes of this thing, and you and you lose the thread on this piece that you're learning. Mm-hmm, of course. So how's that land for you? No, um, you know absolutely, and you know, I, I mean also I, I was a little frustrated because I don't know. Outside of the 82 I shot in that qualifier, you know I shoot a lot of rounds, basically. You know, I exist in a in a pretty narrow spectrum of seventy three to seventy six. It seems last month, and I'm a little frustrated that I'm not breaking through this yeah. sort of barrier. But I'm also pretty happy with the way I'm getting the golf ball around the field of play. 
Um, I did have my best nine holes of the year uh, in this tournament. I played. Um, it was a club link two day two man tournament. Had a nice finish. We were playing at Greystone on um, Tuesday, and uh, I shot three under on the back nine on my own ball, which is pretty good for me. It's the lowest in I've been on competition all. as well. In competition. Uh, but as I was saying to you before the show, one of the things I wanted to mention is how if you're open, this is, again, a bit of a segue, but when we're open to the idea that things can change, then you have a chance. And even though the front nine of that day, I was kind of like, I was okay, but not really firing on all cylinders. I hit a couple of shots and ended up in bad spots. I think I shot four over for nine holes. But something happened on the ninth hole. I was in a bunker, and I splashed out to uh, seven or eight feet, and I made that putt. And I was saying to you off the air, like, I think and it, something happened. The fact that, that, that I sort of kept trying, and I wasn't pissed off, and I made that putt, it kind of, it just spurred me on in a weird way. And I, and I think a lot of golfers will relate to, you just need... And, and Charles Fitzsimmons told me this once we discussed. Sometimes it just takes one little thing to turn your day around. But the problem is, if you're not open to that, it won't happen. But if you are, and it does, it does, it change. You see it on TV all the time. You know, you save, you see a guy save par, and it just keeps the momentum going. Well, I didn't have much momentum. In fact, I just bogeyed. Uh, the last two holes in a row. So I was kind of like, you know, this is, I'm fighting it. But mm-hmm. that putt just gave me a little bit of a, an elevation in in mood, I guess. Because I, like I said, I played the next nine holes, three under. So it was it was interesting. Yeah, I, I, that's really interesting. And I, you hear that a lot. I, mean, I remember Tom Watson saying one time he was playing around a golf and, and you know, he turned it around. They said, "You know, how'd you do?" It? He says, "I got mad at myself," and basically, I gave gave himself a little talking to, and that mm-hmm. helped him just get more focused. But I think what happens is that when we're in a state of, and we don't know why, sometimes it happens. We're just in a more open state of awareness. It's just when things happen, it's like, oh, that's this is what's happening, and you kind of interpret it without. All the usual stories, mm-hmm. with all without putting it through your filter of of what's right, what's wrong, whatever, and and I think that that's why if we can allow ourselves to play in this in this place of just kind of almost like openness, like what is happening as opposed to how am I doing? If it's how am I doing, it's all with judgment and comparison, and you're not things happen to you but you're not even aware of them because if they don't match with your thoughts or the plan or the thoughts then then you're oblivious to it but when you're open and awake to what's going on then you can those little things can actually make you can connect with them and use them that that caused you a little change in energy mm-hmm. it could be someone just feeling something you know in their backswing for gosh sake no i love what that that's a great phrase it, uh, um it did. It, it It just turned my energy around a little bit. Like, oh, okay. Well, there's, you know, I didn't make three bogeys in a row. There's a, a chance. It was good for the team because we were both kind of scrappy on the front nine, my buddy Tim and I. And, uh, and then um, we were four under on the back nine. Tim made a nice birdie on 17. And, um, and we went Eagle, from... I heard. 
I made an eagle. Yeah, wow. I made an eagle on a par fucking I made an eagle on a par four and didn't get the skin. Let me tell you that story. But anyway, Wait, is that 16 at Greystone? Uh 14. No, oh, f- yeah, yeah, 15, 16. No, 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. It's that short par four. Yeah. No, I think that's but, but but we went from kind of like we would have been way back in the pack and that that back nine got us into a uh, fifth spot. So it was nice. Um, let me finish you by let me I got to go in, in 60 seconds. I'll tell you this quick story. It's a drivable par four. And we're playing with some nice guys from uh, Sarnia. And we're all all the same part of the senior tour, whatever, guys. And uh, we both hit night strives. But we get up there and my ball is just below the hut, the cup, eight feet uphill, right to left for eagle. Other guy has a 30 footer downhill away from the escarpment. No way he knows this green. So me and Tim are like, oh, this is great. We'll make an eagle and we'll get a skin. And this is great. Uh, it couldn't be an easier putt. And this guy gets up. And as soon as he hits it, I'm saying to myself, oh, that's a pretty good putt. <laughs> and, uh, Damn it. And then Damn it, it starts coming down the hill. And I'm like, oh, come on. And exactly. it, cur- it curls into the cup. And, I, and I'm telling this is the truth. I literally had to close my eyes. For about 10 seconds, and I said to myself, will golf ever stop fucking with me? <laughs> but to my, you know, I, I, I took a lot of time because Tim and I are looking at each other like, are you kidding me? Exactly. And after we laughed and we, I said, you prick. His name was Steve. I go, I hate you, Steve. I sort of made fun of it. <laughs> oh, exactly. But then I got back into my routine and I took all the time in the world and I made the putt to tie him. Which, in a weird way, was almost more satisfying than if I had just made it myself. Because, you know, I'm not saying it's like Rom and DJ, but I made it on top of them. Because of what we talked about today. Because I got over it, Mm -hmm. and I didn't... I wasn't self-conscious about the time I took to go and gather myself. Because it's not... There's Here's what we we can tell our audience. There's no guarantee you're going to make that putt if you take your time. But I guarantee if you rush it and you're self-conscious and you're pissed off and you're embarrassed and humiliated, you will never make it. That's right. Yeah, you just you just put it's like putting the shackles on yourself, like put the handcuffs on. Um, you got to think that although John Rahm probably said a lot of he did say lovely, gracious things. But when 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 DJ made that putt on him in uh, on the 18th. Last uh, yeah. last week, he uh, I'm sure there's very unflattering thoughts <laughs> right. DJ floating through his through his head. Well, that listen, let, finish, eh? let's uh, leave it there because I got to get going. But Timmy, um, all the best. We're back to every couple of weeks, and I guess the next time we'll do this, it'll be uh, U.S. Open time. And um, no, you're making a face. No, I actually I, th- I think. Uh, is it next? Oh, actually, I think two weeks I'm back. Yeah. All right. Next, we'll figure it out. Week, next Thursday, I'm away. But, All right. Yeah, so it is two weeks. There All right. Go. I got to go. You're a nice man. You're, you're a gracious, you're a golf spiritual leader. How's and uh, I will talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks, Timmy. Bye.